1: Welcome everybody to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, uh, brought to you as always by our friends at Dynasty Owner. Uh, I want to thank uh, everybody for listening, for uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing the podcast. It, it does mean a lot to us, uh, and uh, thank you for that. My co-host, uh, guest co-host today is Chris Towers from CBS. I've had Chris on for baseball, but now we're going to do it for football as well. Chris, what's going on? How are you doing?
2: Good, good. You know, it's an uh, exciting time of the year. We're three weeks into the baseball season and football is about to start. Yeah. Just like always. Exactly.
1: Uh, and it's uh, <laughs> just like always. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, the, the it, and the football season too is also one where news is less prevalent. We kind of have to dig into the corners a little yeah. bit more. We're not getting preseason games. Uh, we're getting reporters that are reporting remotely in many cases, or, you know, not, they don't get to observe as much firsthand. They're not to report allowed to report on certain things it's it's really complicated this year
2: yeah it's uh it's been it's been weird because interest doesn't seem like it's all the way there for fantasy football yet and i you know i was thinking about it partially like the football season starts a little later this week i think it's a week later than normal mm-hmm. uh september 10th and then also just you know the hall of fame game should have been last weekend and that's kind of the unofficial official start of fantasy football draft prep season i think that's when everybody's like Oh, yeah. Football's back. Yeah. And we didn't get that. And so, you know, those kind of traditional mile markers aren't really there this year. Yeah. Frequently,
1: we'll have uh, joint practices with the Raiders and the Cowboys right now. And there's talks of yeah. scrimmages and those our fights in those joint practices and things like that. I have none of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, we just launched a new newsletter that I'm that I'm taking control of. And, you know, I'm trying to it's just like a long form content piece. We want it to be kind of everything you need to know delivered in your inbox every morning for CBS sports. And I'm like, it's like three days in and I'm already reaching for yeah. stuff from training camp to talk about because, you know, until they put the pads on this weekend, we don't really have anything. It's been, it's, it's a weird time, uh, of the, of the fantasy football calendar. Yeah, so it, far.
1: absolutely. It is. And, you know, and we've been talking about this forever. Uh, we've been talking about this cause of, you know, the shutdown, you know, when they're, you know, for two months where we had no sports whatsoever, all we've been doing is talking about it. You know, whether it's the draft and it's all this yeah. speculative stuff. So it feels like we've already done this.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's uh, I mean, it's 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 a weird time for a lot of reasons. And uh, fantasy football and fantasy sports in general has not um, has not really uh, been unscathed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right,
2: let's talk about some of the news that uh, that's
1: happened today. Uh, we'll go through some of that. And then after that, I kind of want to dig into a few different things, including uh, separating the news and noise, you know, and what, you know, what actually matters and trying to remember how to filter that. Uh, you had a, in your newsletter, uh, you, you had to discuss the how to approach wide receivers. and I And you noted how you kind of thought you stood out, at least from your compatriots at CBS from the crowd and perhaps in leagues as well. So we'll talk about that, too. Uh, Start off, though, uh, news on uh, Chris Carson. Uh, Pete Carroll Wednesday uh, today said that Carson, in addition to the hip, is not in in Seahawks camp yet uh, because of family situations. Very vague. He says he's fine physically. What does that mean? And and in this COVID era, that can mean anything.
2: Yeah. You know, I guess the one thing for football that, that, that's pretty, you know, helpful is that we just went through this for baseball. And so when baseball, when guys started reporting to camp and they, you know, either weren't with the team or they tested positive and there was a lot of freaking out. Um, and you know, then by the start of the season, you know, most of those guys ended up being there. And so Mm -hmm. obviously the thing that this introduces and, 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 you know, whatever, you know Chris Carson is going through it, you know falls under this umbrella it's not so much that it's definitively bad news it's that we just don't know you know it, right. it, he's dealing with something off the field that um, at this point we don't know when he's going to be back it could be in 2 days it could be in 2 weeks that's right and we saw that in baseball Roberto Asuna
1: wasn't fine as it turns yeah. out uh, and they tried to make it fine really quick and that didn't work out so well either But you look at like in Tampa, you know, Austin Meadows had COVID, but Diego Castillo just had to go back home to deal with a family situation and he was fine. Uh, And because they're not allowed to report, it it makes it so much more difficult. So I'll be, I'll keep banging my head against the wall about that. But uh, (laughs) here we are. You know, the thing about him is, and I often use the NFFC as my uh, bailiwick as in terms of like where a guy is going and and things of that nature. Uh, He's a kind of tough guy for me to value because of his injury. Uh, Yeah. They signed Carlos Hyde. Rashad Penny's still there. They drafted another uh, rookie from Miami that was kind of in a timeshare. They've got like five guys. Carson, if you look at what he did the first half of the season, you think, okay, second, third round guy. If you look at all the other complicating factors, he could be as late as a fifth round guy. Where are you on him?
2: I actually don't think Chris Carson is someone that I've drafted too often. and, And you know I think part of that is he's just in a part of the draft where I typically don't like take my running back, you know, like we'll, we'll talk about it a little more in detail, but you know, I tend to want like first or second round running back. And then I kind of just stay away from it because, you know, from a lot of the research that I've seen, you know, third, fourth round is really where running back starts to be the, the, the really bad investment. You know, those elite guys are usually worth it. And then after that, that's when running back starts to get really, really dicey. I'd agree. Um, I, I like
1: to, I either get, like to go one and one or one, one running back in the first round and one other in the second round, usually wide receiver, but not always. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, and certainly in the third round, there's not too many. I, sometimes I like to get two running backs right off the top. Uh, I, I have zero leagues with I, where I have him drafted him so far where I've got him rostered, but uh, we'll see. I, I don't think I'm going to have too many uh, leagues where I own him. Uh, let's keep moving. Uh, John Ross went on the COVID list. And yeah, you know, this is one of the later guys to do this. Most of the others checked in, you know, when they when they got first initially got tested, they had their positive or negative test and they moved on. This is one of the later ones. Uh he had he he went left Cincinnati to take care of his young son and the child's mother after they tested positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. And now he's positive for that. Tough break. Uh he's already in a tough season right now. Uh, I liked, I like the idea of taking him in a best ball late, but this is, this puts a damper on that a little bit.
2: Yeah. And, you know, again, you, know, we can use the kind of the baseball, uh, example it, as a, instructive, you know, some of the guys who didn't have symptoms still ended up needing, you know, three weeks to get back. I mean, Jordan Alvarez, it's been five weeks, you know, and, and so that's kind of the, the long end, and then you had like Freddie Freeman had symptoms and was back, you know, basically within ten days from reporting symptoms, and so, right, uh, it like I said, it's just the unknown that that's the thing that this introduces, and you know, as we move forward with with Cincinnati, you know, he was probably going to be the number three guy anyway, uh, you know, maybe if he's a little bit behind the the rest of the guys, it does give T Higgins uh, uh, a potential chance. He's not quite the same guy as john ross but um yeah he, he could have a chance to uh kind of step up in in training camp at a time when most of the rookies are probably at a disadvantage absolutely uh you know no mini camps no, main, no none of the uh
1: usual summer activities that we usually see none of the otas a lot of zoom calls instead so you know you would d- presume that rookies especially wide receivers and tight ends would be behind Uh, So, but that, that changes things a little bit, boy, Ross has been so star crossed with the Bengals too. I mean, he was, you know, before he even, you know, you know, was a member of the team, he was already recovering from an injury suffered at the university of Washington. Yeah. So it's one of those where, you know, he just can't seem to catch a break. Marvin Lewis didn't especially want him on the team. You know, he buried him quickly in his rookie year at the first sign of a mistake. And this is like his big year. They declined his fifth year option. This was basically a walk year for him.
2: And he, legitimately showed that he could be a good receiver yes. last year, especially early on. You know, that was, that was what I can't remember. Was it a shoulder or a collarbone or something last year? Um, but he did, you know, he had 328 yards through the first two games. He was playing pretty regularly in AJ green's absence and then had that big game in week uh, 16 as yeah. well. And so just a reminder you know, of what he can do. I, I still remember the season opener against
1: Seattle. Uh, he did is the full John Ross experience. He had a couple of crippling <laughs> drops, yeah. But he went seven for 158 and two touchdowns. He took a couple balls in stride and just was gone. Uh, and I was, you know, and I'm a Bengals fan. This is where I admit something here. That's, you know, I'm one of the three on the West coast. Um, <laughs> there you go. But, and then the following week, four for one twelve against the Niners this is the one bright spot in a blowout loss. But you're like, wow, they've got something here. And Zach Taylor's got this exciting offense. Good times ahead, everybody. And then. Wah, 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 yeah, not the so way. much. Yeah. And yeah. He,
2: this is kind of like, I've. I, feel like maybe john ross you know it, this is a tough start uh to the year doesn't probably not going to get off on the right foot uh in training camp as a result of this unfortunately and, and that, that's really unfortunate he's someone who you know if he doesn't hit this year though might be that kind of Devonte parker type of guy next year where you look at him as a, a post type sleeper potentially
1: right. and, it, and you know it's going to be in a different uniform i just know yeah um, it's, it's so painful.
2: Uh, I, I feel bad for,
1: uh, the jets fans that, uh, are going through the Adam gaze experience. Cause I feel like, <laughs> you know, players move, you know, get freed, freed from his yoke and they become a lot better of a player and they, they get the better opportunity, whether it's Parker whether it's Tannehill. It, yeah. It, it seems like that's just a thing. And I, I'm staying away from love bell at his, his draft cost right now. I just, I don't really want any part of it.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, Adam Gates does have a tendency, uh, you know, he had a, a lot of nice things to say about Le'Veon Bell today at yeah. training camp, actually. And that was the story last year in training camp. You know, there was all these mm-hmm. reports in the off season, and then he comes out and first couple of days of training camp starts raving about him. And I mean, the touches were there, I guess. It was just the the offense as a whole was a mess. But yeah, that's that's one that Le'Veon, I'm with you. I'm not really buying. Yeah, that's a perfect
1: bridge, though, to our first to- like, non-news-based topic. and it's, Well, it's separating the news from the noise. And Bell was one of those guys I wanted to bring up because, hey, he's lost weight. He's down to 210 to 215. He says it's the lowest he's been since high school. And in his second year as a pro at the Steelers, he had lost weight and had a big jump in performance. So you could see the correlation to, okay, maybe this is a thing. But is that something to you when you hear, hear these reports? Add in muscle with the Hollywood Brown or lost weight with Lev Bell. Does that move the needle for you at all?
2: No, it's I mean, unless you're like completely transforming your body, which is something that really rarely ever happens. Um, And especially in the NFL where, you know, it's not like a pitcher in baseball adding three miles per hour to his fastball. The, The physical traits are certainly part of it, but this is all pretty much anecdotal. Like we don't know right. what it means that it Le'Veon Bell is at 210 pounds. I know what it means when a pitcher's throwing three miles per hour harder or three miles per hour so- softer, but like you said, there's always this guy put on weight to try to stay healthy. And this guy put on muscle to, to try to stay healthy. And then this guy lost weight. And it's just like, I don't really know what to make of it. And especially in, in an off season like this, where we won't really be able to see them, uh, we will we'll, we won't be able to see them in preseason at all We'll right. we'll get weird kind of glimpses of them in training camp. I know some teams are starting to show uh, that they'll be live streaming some of their practices. But, you know, for the most part, it's going to be all hearsay and it's going to be, you know, this guy looks great or this guy feels great. But this kind of that kind of thing shouldn't really change your prior on a player very much. I'd agree with you on that. And especially
1: this year, because they're not allowed to like report, okay, he's practicing with this group. He's practicing in this formation. You can't even, yeah. you can't even report that this year. Uh, it, it, it's remarkable. And you know, any team that does live stream practices, it's going to be as vanilla as it gets. Oh yeah. So that, that's, that's one of those things. Another one. Okay. Here's another category of the training camp noise versus news, uh, Colts camp. Marlon Mack was announced by Frank, uh, Coach Frank Wright said on Wednesday that Mack is still viewed as the Colts' starting running back. Andrew Walker of Colts.com said this, too. So, of course, it's from Colts.com. Uh, and and the, the actual quote is, Marlon Mack is the starter. We're going to continue to take the same approach we have, where it's week in and week out, hot hand, all of those things, and talking about the, the comparison between Mack and Jonathan Taylor. Don't coaches
2: always kind of side with the veteran early on in training camp? I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Mike Davis was the starter for the Chicago bears last year <laughs> and you know, we saw it then obviously I think Mar- Marlon Maxa, a much better player than, than Mike Davis. Um, but yeah, it's like this guy is our starter. That doesn't really matter all that much. What, I mean, this is the kind of news item. That's not really news, right? You know, this is what I expected all along. Marlon Mack was. They weren't ever just going to throw Marlon Mack aside on, on week one and say, all right, Jonathan Taylor, you got 20 carries. Uh, This was always going to be three guys, you know, Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, and then Naheem Hines. And that's what makes it such a confusing backfield because Colts have an incredibly soft schedule, great offensive line. Philip Rivers loves throwing the running backs. It's a great situation that might get split three ways, possibly evenly which would be kind of the worst case scenario. Right, exactly. Uh, but yet you've
1: got an athlete in Jonathan Taylor that is the, probably the best of the Wisconsin running backs to come out in terms of yeah. what he can do in all phases of the offense. Uh, maybe not a tremendous pass catcher, but he can catch passes as much, so much, in so much as Wisconsin threw to their backs. Uh, you have a franchise that traded up for him in the second round to get him. It's not like they you know, okay, we'll just take the best available. No, they they affirmatively yeah. wanted him. Leapfrogged other teams to get him. Yeah, usually, that indicates a desire for usage, but uh, it could be tough this year.
2: Yeah, that that's that's really the biggest thing with you know Heath Cummings at, at CBS Sports with us. At one point, he had basically all of the rookies. Uh, rookie running back specifically as busts. And then Clyde Edwards Hilaire, obviously, you know, his situation changed dramatically, but you know, Jonathan Taylor at NFC has got a 30, 32.6 ADP. That's, that's quite a lot you know, it's about the 18th or 20th running back off the board, I think, but yep. that's, that's a really steep price to pay for a guy who we, who didn't get an, a, uh, a rookie mini camp, didn't get OTAs, doesn't get a, a normal training camp, doesn't get any preseason games. Uh, my, my working assumption coming into training camp is that the guy who enters training camp at the top of the depth chart has a better chance of staying there. It, you know, it will sure. be harder for guys to, uh, to shake up the depth chart the way they normally do. It's not going to say that's impossible. Yeah. And I, you know, I think Jonathan Taylor was the most talented running back in that class. I think you know, between the unbelievable athletic profile and the unbelievable production profile, you know, he does really look like that kind of one of the few running backs who, you know, even if you're a running backs don't matter person, you know, he looks like one of the guys who has the ability to matter. And, you know, maybe it doesn't happen in the first four weeks of the season, or maybe it doesn't happen at all. Um, but I think he's going to be good when he gets the ball. I'm just, I'm a little wary of how often it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I'm going to confess though. I, I'm one of those guys that has taken him uh, and contributed to that ADP. In uh, Ras Bowl, I took him, I think, mid-third round. I think that was the league I took him, or it might have been uh, a best ball 10, I forget which. but well, you know. And that makes
2: sense. Yeah. You know, the, the best ball or Ras Bowl is kind of that, that quasi-best ball, but because you know, that's one where if he doesn't really hit the first three weeks of the season it's not that big of a deal because one, you're not setting your lineup those weeks anyway, so you don't have to sweat it. And two, if he does get that role and he goes in the last eight weeks of the season and just absolutely dominates, he can carry you in a best ball league, uh, right in a way that, that it's a little, it's a little harder to live with. Like if you go into the season with your third round pick and he gets eight carries and, and one target in the first game, Right. That's the psychological element there is going to be, oh, God, I'm ruined. And he's the kind of player who may require a little bit of patience. Yeah, probably so.
1: Uh, under the same vein, how do you uh, parse uh, what the, the statements coming out of Tampa Bay about their running back situation? Uh, the whole uh, Ronald Jones is the main man
2: comment that came <laughs> out of camp. Are you buying that? Uh, Ronald Jones, I believe, was named the starter in week eight uh, last year. Yeah. And then got 12 carries the following game. And then I think four, either the game after or the game after that, the game that he missed the block and basically just got benched. Uh, Bruce Arians, I believe, named Chris Johnson, the main guy, the year that David Johnson was the best player in fantasy. Um, I just, yeah, I don't. Bruce Arians coming out and saying that doesn't really say much to me, given his track record, given the track record with Ronald Jones specifically. Um, But I do expect Jones to be the main guy just because, you know, his competition is Keyshawn Vaughn, a, an okay rookie, not a super talented one, but someone who, you know, at least coming out of college, the one thing that he did well, that we thought, Oh, maybe he's got a chance to, to push Ronald Jones was that pass blocking. He actually did start the training camp on the COVID list. He's not on there anymore, but that's one where maybe he was—he's a couple of days behind now. He's a rookie who didn't get all the offseason stuff, and so he's even further behind than he normally would have been. And you know, the, Dave Richards from CBS Sports uh, talked to Ronald Jones' trainer, and you know, they talked about how Ronald Jones put on seven pounds, and they worked on uh, pass blocking and pass catching twice a day most days. And you know, that's another one where it's. It's good to hear. Yeah. It doesn't change my opinion of the player all that much, but I guess it's better that than not knowing that he worked on his pass blocking in the off season, but that's the biggest thing for him is can he gain Bruce Arians' trust in a way that he didn't have last year? If he does and he can stay on for even half of the passing downs
1: yeah. sure beats that two really years ago. Does. That's for sure. When Dirk cutter was openly mocking Jones's ability to catch, but uh, <laughs> yeah, good times. But yeah, I, 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 and I agree that I think he's, you know, he, he actually on the merits, I was kind of going into him and whether I was getting him a lot at where he's previously going. And I'm starting to think he's creeping up a little bit. Uh, and that, might price me out. He's starting to go where I'm trying to get my third wide receiver. Often third or fourth wide receiver. He's starting yeah, to go I in that him, fifty to sixty range.
2: Fifth, a uh, fifth round yesterday uh, in a draft. I wasn't in it, but it was one of the CBS fantasy mock drafts, and that really, I'm a little more wary of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense in general. I wrote about this on the newsletter today. You know, we're investing an awful lot in a 43 year old quarterback who is not getting to play in any preseason games and had to learn a new offense for the first time in 19 years. Um, And so that's one where, like, are we sure Ronald Jones is such a special talent that it's worth the risk there? And I'm I'm just not sure there are probably like fifth round. Once you get there and you need a running back, you're you're kind of in a bad spot anyway because you're you're kind of picking from guys who, who have various warts anyway, but yeah, I just like, I got him in the ninth round and Scott fishbowl love doing that. That was sure. Cool. Uh, but once you start having to make like a significant investment in him, uh, I, I will say in NFC ADP, he's below JK Dobbins, which I, you know, I think there that that's one where I like Ronald Jones a sure. little more.
1: Yeah. I love Dobbins. I love him in dynasty. Yeah. I love him. I love the theory of Dobbins, but Mark Ingram's still there. And yeah. you want to talk, you know, we talked about the crowded Colts backfield, well, crowded Ravens backfield. And I granted whoever does get to carry the rock for them. It, it's a great spot to be in. Gus Edwards has averaged over five yards a carry each of the yeah. last two years. I mean, he, he's, he's had 700 yards each of the last two years yet. Yet he's completely forgotten in drafts. Yeah. now.
2: Yeah, I know it's, it's like whoever does get, whoever gets the most carries for the Ravens is going to be a must-start player. And at this point, I don't have any reason to think it won't be. Mark Ingram, just like in Tampa Bay, I don't have any reason to think it won't be Ronald Jones yet. I'm just not sure he's a special player, and I'm worried about the situation enough that when that price gets into the 50 range, that's where I start to get worse. Yeah, I, don't,
1: I share your concern about the Bucks' offense as a whole. It's not like the last time we saw Brady, he was tearing it up. You know, right. it, it was a real mess in New England. And granted, you know, everything was messy. Their offensive line was messy. The wide receiver situation was pretty bad. But I always kind of wonder, it's really hard for a rookie wide receiver to break in in new England. And I, is this all because they've done a bad job of scouting at the draft or maybe there's something else to it too, that maybe they don't nurture young wide receivers all that
2: well. Yeah. It's, you know, I think a lot about like I drafted a lot of Nelson Cruz in baseball this year. And, and you know, he, he has basically been a value for like six straight years because everybody undervalues him because of his age. But, that's really the only thing he has going for him. That's the only mark against him. And that's when you start to talk about guys like that, you know, especially older players, if it's the, if the age is the only thing that they have going for them and they're being discounted, I'm fine buying, but with this bucks offense, you've got, okay, Tom Brady's the oldest quarterback ever. He wasn't great last year. Uh, Even accounting for the offense. I think you can say like he was an, a really Uh, passive, you know, he wasn't taking chances down the field and he only completed 60% of his passes. And even if you do the kind of next gen stats, they have that expected completion percentage. You know, he was, he had a little bit of bad luck there according to that stat, but he was still only 18th, I think in expected completion percentage. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a situation where it seemed like the team was totally letting him down. He wasn't elevating those guys either. And so you start to compound those, the age, The fact that he seems to be in decline already, the fact that he's in a new offense for the first time, you know, learning a new language, learning a new playbook. And then, and this is probably the smallest concern, but it's not the cleanest fit in terms of his skill set and the way he has preferred to play late the last few years and the way Bruce Arians prefers to play. And so like any one of those on their own might not be that big of a concern for me. But once you start adding three, four, five risk factors on top of each other, that's when it's like, OK, there's a lot of ways this could go bad. Yeah.
1: So let me ask you this. How have you applied that to the other uh, offensive players on the Bucks' offense there? Uh, have you downgraded Godwin or, or Evans more? How do you treat Gronk? Where are you on the rest of the Tampa Bay players?
2: Gronk is off my board, pretty much. I just look, I hope he's good. <laughs> there's there's no question that. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is one of the most entertaining players and, and personalities in the NFL, but you know, being away from the league last time we saw him, he wasn't all that great. And it's not like he was saving it for the playoffs because that the 2018 season, he wasn't great in the playoffs either. Um, so he's not really someone I'm considering at tight end and Godwin and Evans, you know, sixth and eighth right now in NFC ADP at wide receiver. Right. I, I don't love either of those prices. That's the, the, the thing I keep coming back to is uh, the 2015 Broncos when, you know, they were still, I think the third or fourth best offense in terms of points per game in 2014, after the historic 2013 season, uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, I think were both top 10 wide receivers and they didn't fall off completely when Manning fell off and Brock Osweiler took over for a little bit. But, you know, it was like they went from the second and fifth, I think, wide receivers to like 15th and 23rd. And I think there's potential for that. I think there's potential for both of those guys, Godwin and Evans, to just be kind of okay, which uh, not because of anything they do, but just because I I think the offense as a whole could really struggle. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I've been more concerned about Evans than Godwin. I view Godwin Mm. as
1: kind of a better Julian Edelman. I don't know if they're going to have that connection that those two had, but I look at Godwin and the type of routes he runs compared to the type of routes that Evans runs. And that gets me worried. Cause you know, I, I just don't think, you know, Brady's going to be all that effective with the deep ball. And that's the thing that kind of worries yeah. me a lot about Evans. So that's a, that's someone who I haven't ended up drafting yet. There's a price for him. I'm just, I'm just yeah. not there yet.
2: Yeah. If it was like, the thirteenth wide receiver, I would feel better about it. Yeah, I,
1: and I feel about the same. Uh, although it's kind of, I feel a little similar about DJ Moore in Carolina. I feel like he's being ever so slightly overdrafted uh, as well. Although he was dealing with horrifically bad quarterback play already yeah. as it was
2: last year. Uh, I'm on the other side. I think DJ Moore. Uh, uh, I might. I don't personally have like public rankings, but he might be my number six. Wow especially in a PPR format, I, I just think he could be, I, I think first of all, he was kind of already an elite wide receiver last year in terms of the target volume before the injury in, in week mm-hmm. 16 or week 17, I think. And then, um, you know, in terms of what he was doing with those targets, with the exception of touchdowns, obviously he he has not been a guy who's been able to find the end zone much, the his first two years in the, in the league, but just the target volume, like I could see him having, Maybe not a 2019 Michael Thomas season, but one of the prior ones where he, you know, really is one of the three or four best receivers in football and catches 110 passes. That's the thing about him. I love the skills. Uh, I do. I, I, I question
1: the volume. I, you know, I question mm-hmm. where he gets that volume. Uh, he's not, you know, he's 5'11, 215. I, I don't see him as being a big red zone target. Yeah. And I, I I think he's great at moving the chains, and I just wonder if he, there's going to be a problem with him getting those options. You know, getting the getting the whole volume. Is Teddy Bridgewater going to be that guy that can open up the offense? It, you no, know, it's not just him. It's Matt Rule. Also, obviously, it's Joe yeah. Brady. It's uh, is a, is a big factor in that too. I guess I'm I'm skeptical of, of, of the volume um, and where if 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 he do, if he does get that volume, if all of a sudden they're starting to throw 550
2: times, then yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's gonna be. They're they're in an interesting spot because I think they, I think they ran the most plays in the NFL last season, and and that was mostly just because they were playing from behind so much, right. and they kind of had to. But you know what what happens with that play volume overall is going to be really interesting. But the thing I would point out with DJ Morris, he played six snaps in week 16 and then sat out week 17. It was an ankle injury. Don't so he I know all so well, I had yeah. him in the NFC, NFFC classic. Oh, uh,
1: I, go, I got to the playoffs. I had the third overall points going into it. He had the concussion and the ankle. Oh, so yeah. bad.
2: Oh, frustrating. yeah. And so he, uh, you know, he only played six snaps in, in week 16. So I think you can kind of throw that one away that means he had 133 snaps in 14 games that comes out to nine and a half per game over a 16 game sample. That's 152. Yeah. Uh, so he was kind of already at that elite volume. And the question then becomes, what does the new offense look like? What does the addition of Robbie Anderson do? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's been talk of Curtis Samuel playing more of a, a short to, to intermediate range role. And you know, it is possible that there are too many guys there and not enough passes to go around, but I also kind of think this Panthers offense could be sneaky good.
1: Yeah, it could could very well be. I think the defense, despite all the draft additions, is still gonna be pretty bad this year, too. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll be playing from behind a lot again. Uh, I question, you know, one of the things is maybe it means a little less volume for Christian McCaffrey. You know, at some
2: point you have to consider not running him into the ground that would be my i I would expect there's going to be a somewhat significant decrease in volume although obviously christian mccaffrey has a long way to go before you start worrying about him not getting enough touches but you know it's we did this uh for for our fantasy football magazine heath cummings did this um what could go wrong for each of the first rounders. And it's, it's, you know, I think it's an important exercise to, to force yourself to do because with most of those guys, it's kind of, well, Christian McCaffrey's the best fantasy player. You know, he had one of the best fantasy seasons ever. He's going to be dominant. I think it's worth at least doing the thought exercise of, well, what would it look like if Christian McCaffrey was a bust and not because of injury, just because he's not that good. And I think basically you come to, you know, maybe he gets 90 targets or 105 targets instead of what he's had the last few seasons. And he's just an 80 catch guy uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to a 100 catch guy. And that knocks off 40 to 45 points. And then, you know, maybe one of the backups, you know, Reggie Bonifon, maybe he gets 18% of the carries instead of, I don't know what it was last year, five. He, he right. barely touched the ball. Um, but it's still not enough for Christian McCaffrey. Like I think the worst case scenario for Christian McCaffrey is he's still a top 10 running back and probably still top six or so. Right.
1: Which means, which that's all you, and let's face it when you're, when you're drafting the first round, you're craving the stability you're craving. Okay. Worst case scenario is you're still top 10. Okay, fine. Yeah. He's your, he's always there. Um, Yes, yeah, so I'm with you on that. Hey, before we go on, uh, we, got, we have one more news versus noise category. I've got to share a note from our friends at Dynasty Owner. If you've been looking for a new challenge, why not consider playing Dynasty Owner Fancy football this season? Dynasty Owner Fancy football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office. Dynasty Owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries adding the strategy of running an NFL franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenge for die-hard fantasy football fanatics. Go to dynastyowner.com/rotowire. Leagues are forming now. That's dynastyowner.com/rotowire. We've all been in a league where the winner just got lucky. If you're like us and you know more than the most, Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. Dynasty Owner favors skilled players who can manage their roster using real NFL salaries within the salary cap. It adds an entirely new level of strategy. Go to dynastyowner.com/slashrotowire. Validate your fantasy football skills. That's dynastyownercom rotowire. Dynasty owner. Start your dynasty today. So I'm I'm Jeff Erickson. I'm talking with Chris Towers of CBS, and we're talking about uh, training camp news versus noise. And there's one more category, Chris, I want to talk about, and that's the the, the least likely uh, to come true, and that is the player prediction uh, uh, section <laughs> of, of that. Josh Jacobs comes out to this says, I want to catch sixty passes uh, this year could happen. It's not that unreasonable. That's like five a game. It, it you know, but they have Jalen Rashard. They have all these receivers they've added over the off season. It doesn't seem likely, but is Jacobs capable? Of it? Sure. I could see it. just doesn't seem likely that would have the pass volume for it though.
2: Well, that's one of those things where it's just, it's not up to him. Right. You know, like he could to a certain extent, at least he can control how many yards he gets, uh, yeah. You know, just by, you know, every carry he gets, he gets the most amount of yards he can. He can't control how many routes he gets to run, uh, how often he's in the game in those passing situations and how often Derek Carr looks his way. Now, you know, I think if he was in those obvious passing situations a lot more than he was as a rookie, Derek Carr would probably look his way a lot because that's his favorite thing in the world to do is dump down. But right. in the way they've built their running back room, it it's Josh Jacobs and then a bunch of pass catchers. Basically it's Jalen Rashard and Lynn Bowden. And, and so it just doesn't, it really doesn't seem like they've built a, a running back depth chart that will allow Josh Jacobs to be a significant part of the, the passing game. Unless, unless he's just going to be Le'Veon Bell and never come off the field or Christian McCaffrey. Right. and, that's one where
1: I get, again, if we, you know, like there there's some really good Raiders reporters out there. Victor Fur from the Athletics, the one I like a lot, follow him, uh, and he, inter- he will interact with people on Twitter pretty well. If all of a sudden he's allowed to say, well, we're seeing Jacobs practice in third down sets a lot, well, okay, then sure, maybe I'll change my tune on that. I do like him a lot, and I, I think. You know is where he goes in drafts. I'm comfortable with that. I haven't been drafting too frequently from that position overall it's usually I've been drafting somewhere in the middle. It seems like that's where i where I get my slots. It's five through eight it seems where i just constantly i'm getting slotted
2: yeah, he's uh he's one who like in theory every time I think about Josh Jacobs, I'm like, do I really want to spend you know especially if he's going in the first round uh which occasionally he will and and that's where i think it gets kind of uh i think he's a little more risky but you know i keep thinking like in theory i don't really love him Mm -hmm. in practice he's the 13th running back off the board and you know okay maybe Clyde edwards layer will jump him at some point in adp but for the most part he's kind of the last of uh the second tier of running backs and then there's a little bit of a drop between him and, and todd Gurley and the rest and Once you actually look at the rest of the names in that group after him, it's, you know, the tier after him is Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Leonard Fournette, Jonathan Taylor, Le'Veon Bell even. Well, I I guess Josh Jacobs starts to look a lot better. The only thing I have with him is they're already talking about limiting him in training camp. Um, He, you know, obviously was not a full-time player in college. And then his rookie season he does play this huge role and gets a ton of carries, but he also breaks down and he gets that shoulder injury. And what we saw there was sort of, it sort of highlighted the limitations of the way they've used him because Deandre Washington came in and was actually a better fantasy player, not only because he was getting the targets. That's true in a way that, that Josh Jacobs wasn't and It is not really, none of this is to say that Josh Jacobs isn't good. And none of this is to say he can't catch passes. And none of this is to say he can't stay healthy. He just hasn't, one, that often the, the coaching staff hasn't proven they want to give him the passing game to work, and two, he hasn't proven he can hold up to a 250-carry workload and stay healthy, and uh, that's, I've drafted him a couple times, but he's never, I never go into a draft thinking, I'm definitely getting Josh Jacobs this time.
1: Yeah, I, I have not yet, and I I haven't ended up drafting him anywhere yet, but I'm open to the idea, uh, and I know you cbs's uh base uh, system is PPR the NFFC yeah. is PPR Many of the leagues I play in are that way. The Roto-Wire Steak league that uh, we do where we have a steak dinner bet based on total points. that's <laughs> more important than who wins the league pretty much uh, because we really soak each other at the dinner. Um, that yeah. one is standard. So in, in that league, I think I'm more inclined to go a little more aggressive. It's also auction. It's 14 teams. It's crazy. But uh, that one, that one's, uh, you know, th- that's a little bit different. How do you feel about scoring system? Do you prefer PPR, half point, And standard, what, what's your favorite format to play in?
2: There, it's PPR is probably my favorite. Although, you know, I, I don't really have strong opinions about it. I know there are, there are some people who... Don't like it because it over rewards uh, the pass catching running backs who, you know, in real life football value may not be actually all that valuable. Like how, how valuable is a seven yard catch? Mm -hmm. Probably not all that valuable. That's a kind of a replaceable guy. And a lot of people say, well, we should use first downs, but that doesn't really, that doesn't really change the fundamental problem, which is that, you know, who gets the first down is not necessarily the person who was the most important player on that drive you know, who gets the, the reception wasn't necessarily the, the guy who was, you know, perform producing the most for his team. And so you're never going to really be able to capture value in a way that doesn't leave some stuff out of it. And so for me, it's just, I don't really care. Like I like PPR just cause the point totals are higher, I think is, is really what it comes down <laughs> sure. to. It's just, I, my, my, maybe it's just my lizard brain go goes, Ooh, more points. That's uh, so funny. And so, so that's it. But in terms of like the strategy and whether it reflects the game, it, I, I don't, I don't care too much about that. I'm also pro kicker and I know that may, might make me persona non grata in a lot of fantasy football uh, communities. I'm but good with it. That's fine. It just, yeah. Like it, for me, it's just part of the fun of the game is that randomness. And that's a big part of why, like I play in a league with my wife and a bunch of our friends from college and I don't dominate the league every single year. And that would be boring if I did. Uh, some, you know, that randomness is part of what makes fantasy football fun. And so, yeah, PPR scoring, it throws a little, it throws an extra element in kickers, just a little bit of randomness in there.
1: Yeah. If a team can score on a play, we should be able to score in fantasy. That's the way I look at it. Um, exactly. I, 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 hate, I hate when it does, when I mean, you find, can't find a way to get it to count. I, that's one of the things I like about fishball. Uh, and you and I are both <laughs> in that is everything counts. First downs, receptions, carries, pat, you know, completions, also negative points for incompletions and interceptions. Yeah. Uh, you know, Scott did it all. I love the fact that it's, uh, that it, it, it's super flex as well. We yeah. need to be playing with as many quarterbacks as possible. It's the most important position in the NFL, the way at least the the, the team structure their salaries and their their drafts. Well, we should be not just drafting 15 or 18 of the quarterbacks in the league. We should be drafting all of them.
2: Yeah, that's one where like the fact that it's standard to draft as many tight ends as quarterbacks is just that that doesn't make any sense at all. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I guess you want the lineup to kind of reflect what an actual football lineup is. But I fully agree. You know, we do we do these, these, these mock drafts with, you know, our group and then we'll bring in people from outside of CBS or we'll have some of like our video producers who produce our uh, football shows and we'll end up with 13 quarterbacks drafted, you know, two thirds of the league, just quarterbacks just don't get drafted. And and that means that, you know, the most important position in football isn't really reflected in the way the fantasy game is being played. And that doesn't really make sense. So that is one and that's another one where more points. So I'm on board either way. Right. Right. And say you have like an insight that you think uh,
1: just just spitballing a name. Baker Mayfield is going to be way outproduced what he did last year and is a bit of a sleeper. If he's the number 15 quarterback. OK, great. You, you may act. You may get some profit off that. You go a little lower. You, you find like the number 20 quarterback, whoever the name is. Like, oh, I think that Sam Darnold's really going to break out this year. Well, there's no way to, you know, there's very little way to profit off of that. And if you happen to get that second quarterback that does break out, good luck trying to trade him or anything like that too. You have to, you have to have an established star to trade. You know, we're talking like top five quarterback, no other quarterbacks ever get traded.
2: Yeah. There was a, a discussion on on Twitter today that I kind of jumped into a little bit that was talking about Ryan Tannehill and, and someone pointed out, you know, that Ryan Tannehill is kind of being faded by the industry, and you know, you know, even before 2019, he actually had a pretty solid 2018, and you know, maybe fading him is a bad idea. And in a one-quarterback league, I, I just kind of look at it and say, well, let's say he is the fifth best quarterback in the NFL this year. Given that he's probably going to have the fifth fewest uh, pass attempts among starting quarterbacks who play 16 games at most, probably it's really hard for him to be anything more than the 10th best quarterback in fantasy. And so he doesn't, I just, I don't even think about him in a one quarterback league and in a two quarterback league, it actually does introduce that strategy and does, you know, introduce like, I'm really high on that Panthers offense. I think Teddy Bridgewater could be a top 12 quarterback in a best case scenario, but there's no reason to draft a guy who you think can be the ninth best quarterback. If everything goes right, that's, that there's just no, there's not any real value in that because the ninth best quarterback at the end of the season probably had a handful of games where he was really good and a bunch more where he was just kind of okay. Yeah. And so introducing that second quarterback first makes the really good quarterbacks actually reflects their value. You know, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, those guys actually do, you know, become first or second round or, you know, definitely first round picks. And, You know, it also introduces a little more strategy. And so that the two quarterbacks slash super flex, I'm definitely on board with. Yeah, it's amazing to me that two years running that
1: we've had a a quarterback that was anywhere from nine to 15 among quarterbacks drafted. Ends up being the prohibitive number one Mahomes two years ago and Lamar Jackson last year. Uh, It's really rewarded the weight on the quarterbacks crowd.
2: Yeah. And this year, there's not really, I guess Kyler Murray is kind of the guy that everybody thinks, you know, he's in the second year. Team made some additions, added DeAndre Hopkins. This is going to be the, but, you know, he's like the fifth or sixth quarterback. I was going to say, almost, yeah. So yeah, you're not getting the
1: benefit of the bonus there.
2: <laughs> it's actually a lot harder to do that. Uh, yeah, this is kind of, I, I don't see it this year. You could see it with Patrick Mahomes, you could see it with Lamar Jackson the group that's going in that 9 to 15, 9 to 20 range, it's a lot harder to talk yourself into unless Joe Bur- Burrow is just a stud from day 1, which is entirely possible.
1: Yeah, it happened with Cam. You know,
2: a lot yeah. of people had Drew Brees and Cam the same year,
1: and then they had the problem of which one do I start and how can I get value out of that? And then you go in that problem again.
2: Yeah, I I was looking uh, you know, for for the fantasy football today newsletter for tomorrow. I was doing some research on which quarterbacks have the biggest gap between where they're ranked and where their position, their skill position players are. And, you know, trying to see if maybe there's something we can learn from there. Is this guy overvalued? Is this guy undervalued? Should we be moving the offensive pieces up? If we think this quarterback going to be so good. And the one that really stood out was, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield. He's the 15th quarterback in mm-hmm. ADP right now. The skill position players on the, on the Browns, at least within the top 200, they had the, uh, the second highest collective ADP after the Ravens, which is kind of stunning, but I guess makes sense if you think about the big names that they have. Um, but that also does make me think, maybe Baker Mayfield's that guy. Maybe it was just a Freddie Kitchens problem, and if we think the rest of this offense is going to be so good, Baker Mayfield should probably be higher than the 15th quarterback. Oh, I agree. Uh, I absolutely think it was a Freddie
1: Kitchens, Todd Munkin problem for sure. Uh, you know, I don't know which two, which of the two you want to blame. If not both, uh, I like Ke- Kevin Stefanski coming in being the adult in the room. Yeah. I'm on board with that. Uh, and I, you know, and Odell played hurt last year too. Yep. I don't think we can forget about that. And the crack medical staff in Cleveland is the same. Unfortunately, that might still be an <laughs> issue there, but, uh, there's so many aberrant things going on in Cleveland right last year. Kind of almost want to take that as a one-off and just toss it all out.
2: Yeah. On the other hand, it's kind of like my Giancarlo Stanton has to stay healthy one year thing. Like (laughs) everything, everything won't go wrong for the Browns one year. Right. Right. I don't know. You figure the law of averages at some point things have to go right for them. But, you know, we're we're 20 years in on this new iteration of the franchise and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, life keeps saying citation
1: needed, but uh, you know, <laughs> so it goes. Um, before I move on, a quick note from our friends at FanDraft: Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as a streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more. FanDraft can be used. Offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector or onto a large screen TV for the league to enjoy. It can also be used fully online and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely. You can perform both traditional and auction style drafts. Fan draft also supports IDPs, rookie only drafts, keepers and just about any customization to meet your league requirements. You can sign up for a free trial at fandraft.com. When you're ready to order the pro account, make sure you use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 50% off your purchase. Again, that's fandraft.com and use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15%. I'm Jeff Erickson. My guest here is Chris Towers from CBS. Chris, on your your daily newsletter, I almost said weekly, sorry, your daily newsletter, you're talking at one point a couple days ago about your general wide receiver draft strategy and how you varied a little bit. Uh, with the rest of the CBS staff.
2: Yeah, so we're in the middle of our wide receiver preview, and and every time we we start a preview uh, for a position, I, I like to kick it off with kind of a state of the position survey, where I ask the, you know, the the other analysts at the site, you know what what they expect from the season, their approach, how they're how they're looking at it, and one of the questions I, I asked was how important is it it for you to get one of those elite wide receivers in your drafts in 2020? And, you know, it was like, quote, I don't put a priority on it. Quote, I'd rather go for the crown and draft elite running backs. It's not important enough for me to take Michael Thomas as a top four pick. And it's not important at all in the non PPR league. And considering how small that elite tier is for me, it can't be particularly important. And, and I just think about it like maybe it's not that important to get, Michael Thomas, maybe that, you, that doesn't need to be your strategy. But you know, when I, when I go through my drafts, I want to want running back in the first or second round, because I think it gets really tough to find, uh, someone with both upside and floor after that. But then, you know, once you look at how often running backs get hurt, how often waiver wire running backs come out and, and make a big impact, I just kind of want to get as many sure thing wide receivers as i can uh and so you know i'm willing to take three wide receivers with my first four picks especially in a three wide receiver league i you know i'll probably have a three wide receiver regular flex league i'll probably have four wide receivers by the end of the sixth maybe the seventh but probably the sixth
1: yeah and well the corollary too is if you're in a three receiver plus flex league and it's ppr the the running backs drop off so quickly too. So if you can't get two elite running back or two running backs with, you know, bell cow running backs, honestly, it's really hard uh, to, to, you might as well go ahead and get those receivers. The only question I have is, you know, I think the, a lot of formations have changed that there's Mm -hmm. teams running 11s out there. There's more three receiver sets, even four receiver sets and target share has gone down among the top, the top receivers. Now that there's, fewer of those guys would you agree with that
2: yeah I, I think the the research backs that up and you know you don't see nearly as many 150 target wide receivers as we used to but the, the one thing i would say is that part of part of what influences me as well is the other hat the other end of the wide receiver pool where you look at in ppr leagues last year i think 61 players averaged 10 fantasy points per game And so you in then say, well, you'll never have a problem finding someone to fill in. But if you have too many guys who are like, if you wait too long to get a wide receiver and your number three wide receiver is someone who might give you 12 fantasy points per game in PPR, you're really, you're going to have, you really need an edge at running back or tight end or quarterback to, to make up for the fact that you're basically starting a slightly better than replacement level player. Whereas if you can, you know, really lock in, like you could realistically draft three top 15 wide receivers this season with your first four picks. That is not out of the question. And so, you know, if you can lock in three guys who might average 15 to 18 fantasy points per game, then you're not even going to have to think about, you know, the, which of your, you know, which of the guys who are ranked between 30 and 50, are you going to have to start this week? You can kind of, you know, target just the high upside late round guys and, you know, not really have to worry about, uh, you know, I guess Jamison Crowder would be a good example of someone who you feel pretty confident is going to give you some points, but there's not much upside there. Uh, so, you know, if you've got those three, or even four really good wide receivers locked in, then the rest of your draft can just be shooting for upside. You meet Cole Hardman. And I really like Alan Lazard. And so that's also part of where, where I come from with it is I want my bench to be full of upside. I don't want my bench to be, you know, a guy that I'll feel okay. Starting. Um, that makes sense for the most
1: part. Yeah, and the other argument in favor too is, and, uh, you know, it's kind of the under, a little bit of the underpinning of why people do one run running back or z- even zero yeah. running back is, okay, I've got my three that I know I am starting every week. I don't have to make that, that tough decision and hope that I can analyze the matchups right. I know that yeah. these guys are going to get my targets. I know I'm going to get them. And instead of having to debate between, let's say, a rookie wide receiver, or as you mentioned, Jamison Crowder, or Deontay Johnson, is this going to be their week? Yeah. No, I've got these guys. And maybe Deontay Johnson blows up and becomes the next Antonio Brown or even the next juju for that matter. Well, okay, great. But in th- then you have that as an option, but typically trying to, you know, time the market on those guys is notoriously difficult.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think if you're playing in a, in a best ball, then I think things start to get, you know, a little bit different just because that weekly upside for, uh, you know, the five target wide receiver is going to be a lot higher than it is for the backup running back. Um, and so in a best ball format, I think you can, you can sort of make the case that there's a, there's maybe less of an impetus to, to get as many elite wide receivers, just because there are so many guys who can do that in any given week. And if you have nine of them, you know, you should have, or Yeah, I'm thinking of the Rastlam. I think I had eight or nine wide receivers on my roster. Um, You know, then you can kind of hope and count on getting three of those guys to hit in any given week. Uh, But when you're actually setting the lineup, trying to figure out, you know, that third and fourth wide receiver spot when you don't have guys you feel good about, it's really tough to actually do.
1: Yeah, it's miserable except for when one of them pans out and then all of a sudden you feel like you have beaten the world but uh, right uh, right yeah. exactly um yeah i I'm, i i think that's a sensible approach there's only one actually it's funny raz slam is the only league where i kind of waited a little cuz and I, I think i might have messed this up i i did i started off with zeke at 5 mm-hmm. uh, and then instead of taking hopkins I, w- I decided to go kelsey at uh at the second okay. round pick and then I compounded that because Mahomes kept on slipping, and that's the only league where I've gotten an early Mahomes, and I don't have an early Jackson anywhere yet. Uh, And all of a sudden, okay, I'm just going to draft like four receivers in a row, and it might work out. But you know, it's it's the one time where I haven't emerged with like starting that wide receiver run in the third round because there's so many good ones starting in round three.
2: Yeah, that one. Raslam, I ended up with Devonta Adams, Robert Woods, Stephon Diggs, and Will Fuller with four of my first six picks. uh, and, I, you know, I kind of went the opposite where with quarterback and tight end in in Slam, I just went late and went for for upside because it is a best ball. So I have Daniel Jones and Cam Newton who, you know, should have huge weekly upside um, and hopefully that works out. But in a league like this, it's kind of hard to know what the uh, you know, what the right approach is, because that right. is a quasi best ball limited roster moves it's a it's a much different experience than what you you're normally going to get in a, in a fantasy league
1: yeah that's right it is um and yeah i tried to tackle it with a little bit of volume i don't know if i did enough volume we'll see uh and i, I think part of my experience is uh, predicated on my experience last year too where i think i had nothing at uh, quarterback for until like the first round of pickups i had roethlisberger yeah. and i think i had oh. uh, couple other injury
2: quarterbacks. Last year there was a lot of carnage at quarterback. It wasn't great, yeah, cuz r- early in the season you had Drew Brees and Ben roethlisberger go down. You had a couple of guys get benched. Yeah, it was uh it wasn't great.
1: Yeah. I think one of my I think my late round quarterback was Foles. I'm like, "Oh yeah. He you know, he's, <laughs> he's 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 going to fit in well with his offense. He and DD Westbrook, they're going to just match up together. He's going to Westbrook's going to line up at that slot and just get tons of targets." Oh,
2: yeah. And, Foles didn't even make it out of the first half, right? Yeah, He looked good in
1: those until that hit, uh, but yeah. yeah, after that, not so much. So, so it goes. Um,
2: one more quick
1: uh, note from our sponsors, and we'll move on. Uh, Auto New Fantasy Football lets you build your fantasy football dynasty like a real GM. It's better fantasy football, auction-based, deep rosters, and college player prospects. Stash the next rookie of the year while he is still tearing up Saturdays. Trade for superstars to make a championship push. Develop a team over multiple years. Play the best. Play against the best. Fancy football competition on the internet. Visit ottoneu.com dot today. Thanks again to AutoNew for their sponsorship. Uh, my guest is Chris Towers from CBS. Uh, Chris, uh, one last topic I want to talk about. Just the, this rookie class, we uh, especially for uh, running backs, but also maybe the wide receivers a little bit, leaning more towards a dynasty uh, sort of thing. Uh, and the setup for that is, you know, is there a? Ch- there are points where. You have to make that decision. Well, this guy might have a better setup this year, but I like this guy better as an, as an overall prospect. Sometimes that happens with running backs. Sometimes happens, you know, w- rookie wide receivers, that happens a lot, actually, if they're yeah. trying to learn the offense. Where do you lean in, in your leagues when you're looking for a long-term sort of uh, setup there?
2: I I tend to go – I tend to value – uh, opportunity and landing spot in the near future. The, but one of the problems you run into in a dynasty league is talent. Presumably talent will stay relatively stable. Uh, opportunity can change dramatically right. from one year to the next. And so, you know, if you drafted Nikhil Harry last year in a fantasy league in a dynasty league, and you're looking at it, well, You know, he's got one of the best uh, production profiles, really good athlete, first round pick playing with Tom Brady. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe Cam Newton will be really, really good. But if he's not all of a sudden to kill Harry, the situation looks pretty grim. And so in a dynasty league, you know, the, the ability to play immediately matters the ability to, you know, the, the opportunity matters, but. There are only so many truly stable situations in right. the NFL. Uh, you know, this time last year, David Montgomery looked like he had a really good landing spot. That's and right. So there, there's, it's not just the, the instability of the opportunities. It's also just that teams go from bad to good to good again or to bad again and then good again all the time in the NFL and, and knowing who, which of those teams are for real, which of those teams, you know, will stay good. It's, it's really hard. And so, you know, I think talent and obviously the draft capital in dynasty are, are going to be the two things that I look at, um, more, you know, maybe the opportunity can be a tiebreaker.
1: breaker there. Sure. I think that, I think that's a sensible approach. Uh, I mean, and this is where I get, you know, you mentioned David Montgomery. This is uh more of Jeff's confessions here uh, in a dynasty league. I turned down essentially uh, the, the right to pick Montgomery. Uh, I could, I had that and turned down Derek Henry for him there. It's like, Oh, that's that, rough. Yeah. Bad luck there. Yeah, done. it's Well done.
2: And, and, but I think David Montgomery is a good example of people getting a little too enamored with, uh, you know, their own evaluations of him as a talent. And, and that's one thing that like, look, I'm not a scout. I, I cover multiple sports. I've got hobbies. And so I can't watch every single college football game. Right. And I, I didn't get to watch everything that David Montgomery did in college. I, you know, I saw some highlights. I saw some, some clips. I saw, you know, the numbers, but there was a lot of talk of david montgomery last year like this guy is special you know you look at the way he avoids tackles the balance you know the the ability to to extend plays you know he's really he's going to be a special player and that i, I you know maybe he is maybe the situation was that bad but that's always a struggle for me where i just don't necessarily trust my own ability to say who the most talented players are. And so that's why it's really, I mean, look, this is all difficult. If, if there was an easy way to win in, in fantasy football consistently every year, and if there was an easy way to, to win in dynasty every year, we would just do those things. Uh, right. So, you know, I do say talent is what should matter. It's really hard to know who's talented too. And that's so, absolutely right. That's absolutely you know, right. Like choosing between like Cam Akers
1: and JK Dobbins, Okay, well, Akers looks like he's got the better path right now. Uh, You know, certainly Mark Ingram's there in Baltimore and he was good last year. And so was Gus Edwards. But Ingram and Edwards both could be gone next year. You know, that that could be one of the things that makes it difficult. You know, how much does that weigh in? I mean, we think that Baltimore is going to have a good offense for a very long time and you want the running back there. Dobbins looks like he, he could be the man as early as 2021, but he might not be the man this year.
2: Yeah. And and it's entirely possible that Mark Ingram's still around next year. Yeah. You know, that these things are, you know, what we want as fantasy players doesn't always come true. And so, you know, dynasty, obviously, I, I, I think when I'm, when I'm thinking about dynasty and when I'm playing in my dynasty leagues, I think the thing that I go back to more often is just, you know, I think rookies can be a little bit overrated when you start talking about like comparing a rookie to a guy in his third or fourth year, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people will say, well, just take the rookie. And that's one where, you know, what, what's going to, what everything's going to look like in three years is, is really, really hard to say much harder, even, uh, you know, in football than, than any other sport. And so, right. Or in life, how as much 2020 has pointed out sure, so vividly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when, when you start talking about a dynasty league, I, w- the one thing, and this is kind of true uh, across sports for me is I do tend to focus a little bit more on what's likely to happen in the next couple of years, rather than, you know, what, like five years, I don't even think about in almost any dynasty league and especially football, like five years, that guy might be out of the league. Oh, especially. Even if he, yeah. he might be good and be out of the league in five years. You know, Todd Gurley, we're not sure what the next two or three years are going to look like for him. But if Todd Gurley's a backup in two years, it wouldn't be that shocking. And he was the number one consensus pick, you know, right. two years ago.
1: Right. Absolutely. Where are you on Todd Gurley in Atlanta this year?
2: Uh, I've drafted a decent amount of him. If I don't, you know, take a running back in the first two rounds. If I go wide receiver tight end, let's say he, he's someone that I'm okay ending up with. Um, just because the opportunity is really good. Sure. And there were, you know, he wasn't horrible as a runner. Uh, he was kind of the anti David Johnson last year where like he was okay as a runner and just abysmal as a pass catcher. And Johnson was the opposite with Arizona. Um, but, you know, the, the sample size for the pass catching was really small. Yards per target fluctuates a lot. So I don't take too much out of the, the four yards per target in uh, Los Angeles last year. What I look at is Devontae Freeman had, I think, 70 or 80 targets last season. They, their backups are, you know, basically anonymous. Like we've seen those, Guido Smith and Brian Hill over the last couple of years, and neither of them has shown anything. And so I look at Todd Gurley and, it's just really it's it's all about the opportunity. I don't look at him and say wow Todd Gurley's going to be a difference maker for the for the Falcons. But I think he can be a really good fantasy player because he's with the Falcons. Yeah, I buy that.
1: Uh, and and the Rams offensive line really declined last year. Yeah. Actually so did the Falcons. That's the dirty little secret. But there was some explanation for that that they changed blocking schemes, all that. I remember seeing a note uh, where Alex Alex Mack was pretty excited that mm-hmm. that they change they're changing, switching back to the schemes that they were running back when Shanahan was still the coordinator, uh, you know, the outside zone run scheme. They're you know, trying to do a little bit more of that. Uh, let's hope I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I haven't ended up with them yet, but I could see myself in, in the same scenarios that you're describing. Like, yeah, OK, end of the third round. That's fine.
2: Yeah, it's just it, it's a it's a it's a really good spot. Uh, potentially a lot of goal line carries, you know, that, that offense should be really good. And you know, if he gets 50 catches, I think he's probably going to be a number one running back again.
1: Yeah. He, he could be close there. Uh, and the only thing is we're seeing, already seeing a note saying, okay, he's going to have limited work in training camp. Yeah. That may mean nothing. That's that could be again, that news versus noise issue we're talking about.
2: Yeah. Hopefully, you know, it was really frustrating last year. Uh, you know, especially because there were some moments where he played really well and there were especially a couple of drives in like the first five or six weeks of the season where it seemed like he was doing really well. He carried them down the field and then he got pulled for Malcolm Brown. Yeah. Uh, you know, right on the goal line and Malcolm Brown ended up with, I think six touchdowns last year or five. And so, you know, th- that was really frustrating. And that was part of, you know, the fact they were limiting him. It wasn't, uh, we don't think Todd Gurley is a good goal back because he scored a ton of touchdowns last year too. It's just that you know, he got X number of touches in a row and they needed to pull him out to, to keep him fresh. And hopefully that's not the case. And, and at least in Atlanta, you know, Malcolm Brown isn't necessarily a difference maker, but he's certainly proven a lot more than any of the other backs in Atlanta have. And and so that's the one thing, you know, the Rams were more invested in Malcolm Brown than the Falcons certainly are in any of the other backs. here. Right.
1: Weirdly enough that you would have thought they were invested in Durrell Henderson, but they barely used him after drafting him in the, in the third round. The, the Falcons don't even have a draft pick like that.
2: Yeah. And so that's where if he holds up, he's going to get a lot of valuable looks. And even if he's not any good anymore, you can still be a very good fantasy player uh, in the right situation. Right. That's exactly right. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up uh, for today's show.
1: Chris, uh, I know we went a little longer than I uh, told you. I appreciate uh, uh, all your okay. insights. Uh, a lot of fun talking shop with you as always. And uh, tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find your work on CBS.
2: Yeah, we've got a ton of stuff going on on cbsports.com whether you play baseball or football. We're you know, covering everything for baseball and football. It's uh, the heat of draft season. So what you'll want to do is go to cbssports.com slash newsletters and sign up for the fantasy football today newsletter. Uh, that's kind of my baby. I'm taking charge of that and I'll be in your inbox every single morning with unique fantasy analysis links from all the stuff, the great stuff that the rest of the guys are doing. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a really, really valuable resource for people. So cbssports.com slash newsletters for the Fantasy Football Today newsletter.
1: Fantastic. And you can also follow Chris on Twitter at ctowerscbs. Uh, good follow. Make sure you give him a follow there, too. want to thank uh, Dynasty Owner for their sponsorship, uh, for uh, everything they've been doing for us this month. Uh, coming up tomorrow, uh, we continue on with uh, the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, Please subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate uh, all your support, and we'll be back at you again tomorrow. Have a great day.